Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a column. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. In the Booth on a Monday. Good to have you with us. If you're with us, following an epic World Series game last night that... Uh, kept us up into the wee hours so uh, that 2.30 feeling might kick in after uh, one that was worth sticking around for an epic World Series clash as the Astros clipped the Dodgers now a 3-2 Houston series lead, one win away from their first ever world championship with a travel day today in the series shifting back to LA Syracuse football back on the grind after a bye week this is just a weekend without a game. Everything else kind of took place. The players rested a little bit, turned their attention to schoolwork. The coaches worked through some self-scouting. They got on the road recruiting. The idea of getting the players healthy for the final four games of the year, and they take on a Florida State team that got blasted on Friday night by Boston College. Florida State is 2-5 and five and winless in three games at home this year. Syracuse travels to Tallahassee on Friday to play Saturday a 12-20 start, and of course, we'll have the call for you. Then the Orange return home to play Wake Forest, and uh, we normally on a Monday would have the start time of the game two weeks out. That is on hold for another week, so it'll be uh, next week at this time we'll be able to tell you when that uh, Wake game, the next one at home on Military Appreciation Day, will kick off in the Carrier Dome. Syracuse basketball starts this week. Everything counts around here. So while the games don't count, Wednesday and Monday of next week, they're exhibitions. They are dress rehearsals for the season, which gets going for real with Cornell in town on November 10th. In fact, it's a men's and women's doubleheader on that day. The women open their season against Morgan State at 2. The men play at 7 o'clock. Coach Beheim versus Jimmy Beheim with Cornell opening the season on the 10th, the night before that uh, aforementioned Wake Forest game. So lots going on, and we're looking forward to talking about it with you and to you. You can join us by phone at 437-7644-ESPN44 if you'd like to join us on the show. In the booth brought to you by, I assume, Burdick Ford, CH Insurance, and CNYRealtor.com. Hello, Polly. A couple fun things I took out of your opening monologue there. How fun is it that you could have a year where Syracuse potentially could beat Florida State and Clemson in the same year, (laughs) coming off that... And if that happens, you're going into a bull implication game with Wake Forest. <laughs> Incredible, right? Yeah. That's if it were to work out that way. First of all, to beat Clemson and Florida State in the same year from the teams that are in right now in the second division of the Atlantic Division uh, is pretty much unthinkable. We're going to have a soundbite from Coach Babers later, and he's talking about Florida State. He's pumping them up Lou Holtz style in the way that Lou Holtz had everybody beating. Notre Dame potentially uh, back in the day. Oh, they're really good. They're better than their record suggests. That's talking about Florida State. Florida State. Jimbo Fisher. Preseason top five. Florida State. And they got absolutely trounced 35-3 the other night. Can't all be on the quarterback. We're going to try to investigate that over the course of the week. But everybody knows they lost DeAndre Francois in the first game of the year. 
They have a talented but very young 18-year-old true freshman quarterback in James Blackman, and he has not quite uh, gotten the job done with that. So lots going on over the course of the week and possibly fun guests later in the week. If we could put our phone on the air right now, we might have a good guest, but uh, we may have to let that one hold off for just a bit. Looking forward to uh, getting into basketball season as well. Had a very fun visit with Stan Spiro, the head coach at uh, Southern New Hampshire today. Uh, He's been up there for 33 years and loves golf. Our guy's been here for 42 years and loves golf. There's some uh, crossover there and some uh, commonalities, and we're looking forward to telling that story. But I know for a lot of people, one of the big topics, of course, certainly the baseball game in and of itself. We'll get to the highlights and walk you through some of it. Here in a bit, it was so epic. It was a five-hour, 17-minute game. It started late. It's on a Sunday night. It's on a school night. All kinds of implications there. I, I think it's interesting. You look at the, the starting pitchers, right? Kershaw and Keuchel, two of the best in the game. They had started game one. That was a two-and-a-half-hour pitcher's duel, and some people really like that. This one was a eight-home run. Is the ball juiced? Uh topsy-turvy game that went into the night. I think you can make the argument for either, and uh, I think the balls are juiced. Maybe not juiced, but they're at the very extreme uh, limit of uh, what uh, baseball accepts. Balls are flying out of the park. Guys are swinging for home runs. I think uh, both styles of uh, ball are fun, and last night's game obviously was an all-timer. They have to leave the balls like this now, right? You can't I don't know go about back. That. I mean, Next yeah. year you can't have... Last night felt to me like a college baseball game old school with the ping and the ball flying and neither team out of the game because you can score in three and four and five run swings. The crowd was loud. I listened to uh, the television broadcast for a while, then left and I was in the car and had Dan Schulman on this station on 97.7 last night. And he, after Joe Buck had said something similar on TV, Dan Schulman says, look, I can't do justice to the noise here. I cannot tell you how loud it gets when the Astros fans are into it which is what we say about college football. And they play in a dome stadium there, and it holds it in, and uh, some really exciting stuff when it comes to that. But um, what a game. And I know you didn't make it all the way, Polly. No, I I tried. I couldn't do it. I was exhausted. I, I'm a fader. I faded the other night. I, f- I missed the Jock Peterson home run. This one I had a, some work to keep at it and keep alert and uh, hung in there. I did some MacGyver in last night. Brought the... The living room TV into the bedroom and had the Steelers on one TV. Okay. World Series on another, both going at the same time. That's very good. And it was exhausting. They were both great games. It was yeah. exhausting. Didn't pay much attention to the NFL uh, in this one, but we do have a highlight of your Steelers putting uh, that game away. So a good win for the Steelers on the road in Detroit. All right, let's go through the baseball and we'll just pick it up late. And I think that doesn't do justice to the first part of the game. First of all, the stat with Clayton Kershaw getting three runs of support is ridiculous. He wins something like 80% of the time that the Dodgers score even three runs. When the Dodgers lead by three runs, forget about it. And in this game, the Dodgers led 4 nothing with Clayton Kershaw on the mound. It should have been ball game there. But Kershaw, who's one of the great pitchers ever, uh, arguably the best of this generation uh, obviously faltered uh, from that point forward, taken out of the game. The Astros 
kind of like the, the Yankees in their series against Cleveland got down big, but were able to erase it quickly, and then you're back in the game and in a in a uh, way where you have some confidence. That's what happened with uh, the Astros erasing uh, this deficit last night as. The Dodgers led 4 nothing going into the bottom of the fourth, but the Astros scored four times in the fourth. Each team put up three in the fifth, and in the seventh, the Dodgers went up in the top of the seventh, 8-7. to seven. Astros come back with four in the bottom of the seventh inning, capped by this from Carlos Correa. Well, 1-0 and a high fastball hit high in the air to left field and fairly deep. Peterson back at the wall. She's gone. Another home run. Correa hit it a mile high, and it dropped into the first or second row of the Crawford boxes. He rounds third with his right arm extended up into the air, arrives at home plate, and the Astros have extended the lead. So in the stat cast era, where they have these uh, monitors in all the major league stadiums where they're able to get uh, launch angle and uh, the velocity of the pitch coming in, going out, the contact, and, and all sort of the, the data as if you would analyze uh, your golf swing and that type of thing. They're then able to make comparisons, right? So his ball was launched on a 48-degree angle, which is Mike uh, Greenberg this morning and Mike and Mike pointed out that is what a pitching the loft on a pitching wedge is 48 degrees. So there was one other ball hit in Major League Baseball this year that was hit with the same swing speed and a 48 degree launch angle and it was a pop up to second base basically <laughs> or short right field. In this case his pop up carries to left, makes the Crawford boxes in left field, puts the Astros up 11 to 8. The uh Dodgers came back. They scored in the eighth. The Astros in the bottom of the eighth would uh, get this home run from the former Yankee and Brave Brian McCann. As the 1-0 is a swing and a high fly ball. McCann has given it a ride, and it is gone. The fifth home run of the night for the Astros, and it is 12-9. So five home runs at that point were in the eighth. Dodgers come back, down three, on the road, going to the bottom of the ninth in a crazy environment. The Dodgers score three times in the ninth, and of course you know to achieve that, Yasiel Puig has to be a key factor. And the one-two, a change-up, and he hooks it to left field, hits it pretty well, and he hits it out! Puig hits a change-up out to left, into the Crawford boxes, and it's a one-run game at 12-11. to And then uh, Chris Taylor, the RBI, single to tie the game at 12. On to the 10th inning. Dodgers unable to score in the top of the 10th. And this kid uh, was at LSU just a couple of years ago. Alex Bregman with a pinch runner on at second base comes through. And a pitch. And a swing and a base hit into left field. Fisher around third. Ethier's throw to the plate. Not in time. Bregman drives in the winning run. In the bottom of the 10th inning. And the Astros win it 13-12 to to take a 3-2 lead in the World Series. Alex Bregman with the uh, RBI hit there. 13-12 the final. There was not a regular season game 13-12. to 
the entire year. The great uh, Dan Schulman on the call there on ESPN Radio. And now it is back to L.A. for games uh, six and potentially seven the next two nights. Not tonight. Today's a travel day and then tomorrow and the next day. We'll have Kevin Burkhart of MLB on Fox. He's the host you see in the pre- and post-game shows. He'll be on our show tomorrow in the booth at uh, 2.15 Eastern time to uh, see if he's caught his breath from this one. We'd love to know what you thought of it. Where were you? Did you stick up all night? Did you have to watch at a bar and then leave because it was late on a Sunday night? And uh, do you like those games? Do you like the pitchers' duels? How'd you second-guess it? Sunday, the Giants are at home against the L.A. Rams. Pre-game at noon, Big Blue plays here. ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. But Buffalo comes out spotting the Raiders seven points at the start of this game, Mark, and then scoring 27 unanswered points. Clock winds down to three seconds, two seconds, one second, and in the rain, in the gloom of Orchard Park, New York, the Buffalo Bills score an impressive 34-14 win over the Oakland Raiders. John Murphy on the call, guest on the show here a couple weeks ago. And... Uh, Good to have him along with us as uh, he joins uh, us once in a while. And uh, yesterday there with a huge Bills win as they move to 5-2, and two, unbeaten at home. I'm going to the Bills game here in a couple of weeks, their next home game against the Saints, who had a nice win yesterday. They've won five in a row. And takeaways the order of the day, five straight games with some – Three takeaways at least in each of the games. What a change it's been. They just come after you defensively, uh, the Bills do. And the Raiders, who everybody thought was going to be really good at the start of the year, uh, did not have much offensive punch. The Bills win it going away in the fourth quarter. Tyrod Taylor, who was able to uh, keep so many of those plays alive, as he's known to do, extending the plays with his legs. A short rushing touchdown. This is a situation here. The play you're about to hear comes as the uh, Raiders took a key pen. Well, you you think at first it's not that much of a risk, right? It's a uh, goal to go for the Bills at, let's say, the two, maybe even less than that. The Raiders are offsides, encroachment, so the penalty is half the distance to the goal line. You don't think that's a big deal, but it allowed Tyrod Taylor to punch it in this way. The Bills keep the offense on the field. First play, fourth quarter. Up by 13. Fourth and inches from the one. The snap. Tyron tries. It goes over the top. The ball pops out. McCoy comes up with it. And the Raiders, let's see, what's the call? They rule it a touchdown. They rule it a touchdown. He broke the plane. Tyron did. He took a hard shot on a quick snap as he tried to dive over the top of the pile. And there's Murph as the uh, Bills pick up a big win. Bills turn right around. They play the Jets on Thursday of this week. And uh, that's starting into division play. They haven't played a lot of division games so far, the Bills, but they've got the Jets coming up and the Patriots coming up. Patriots with a win over the Chargers yesterday. So that's the Jets. Uh, Lining up P.J. Carlissimo. He'll be fun to talk with here in a little bit. P.J.'s a blast. And... uh, I think with the exhibition games, probably they're you know a dress rehearsal, and people want to see this new team and and get a feel for who they are. We also put a lot of work into figuring out who are these opponents and what's their connection to Syracuse and why were they uh, on the schedule as opposed to somebody else. 
because you're not reading a whole lot about southern New Hampshire or southern Connecticut. Okay, it's not as easy to come across their information or uh, are they as commonplace as some of the teams that are on the schedule. They're both Lemoyne. Uh, what do you mean? I see southern New Hampshire yeah. commercials all yes, the time. Yes, you do. That's a different, all the time. different animal. Oh. But uh, it, yeah, DeVry <laughs> University was not uh, – the University of Phoenix doesn't have a basketball team. But southern New Hampshire University, which has a significant online uh, – presence is what Paulie's getting at anyway it was uh, pj carlissimo's uh first ever uh coaching job and the common he's kind of the thread between the two coaches he and coach Bayhab obviously go way back and are very close and uh, stan spiro the uh head coach at uh, snhu has been there now 33 years and uh, he goes back, and so they've got stories to tell, and uh, I want to hear those stories from a good storyteller, and that's uh, P.J. Carlismo. So looking forward to that. You cool with that? I'm good. I'm, anytime we can get a big name on the show, Matt, Park, <laughs> that is, it is a huge well, get. Yeah. P.J. Carlismo has never called my cell phone either. That's impressive. No. Do, well, do you, you got to name drop you like to that. from your cell phone before they, they call you back. But uh, So looking forward to, uh, to that. P.J. is a good guy, a basketball uh, raconteur. And uh, I'm sure he'll have some good stories for us. So uh, that'll be here in the tail end of the show. We'll get to uh, Joe Salzone and Do We Care in just a bit and set the tone for the Orange football game this week. The Q's going to Florida State in a situation where the Orange are in a, a great deal of confidence and Florida State anything but. Uh, may or may not have the time to get you Coach Baber's uh, comments today. If we don't, uh, I know you did hear some from Steve and Seth, and we'll have uh, time on tomorrow's show for sure, but he was going through the injury list. It does sound as though there's good injury news for Kendall Coleman, who uh, is more likely than not to return in the Orange's uh, defensive end position. Josh Black still not looking great as a uh, defensive tackle, and uh, Jordan Martin, who has really been limited the last uh, couple of games. He had played with a club on his uh, left uh, wrist and really had been cut down to just special teams. Sounds like he is done for the year, not uh, optimistic hopes from uh, Coach Babers there, and that would be, in his case, done for the career because he's already a grad transfer from Toledo to begin with. So that's a bit of a shame. You saw the news this weekend. Antoine Cordy is officially out for the year. We had uh, hinted along the way that it uh, wasn't looking great for him, but an opportunity potentially to get a sixth year of eligibility, and so Cordy would still have two more years to go in a uh, Syracuse uniform potentially. Uh, you want to hit your Steelers uh, highlight, Polly? This is your chance. Now yeah. or never. Yeah, All right, we'll it. work that in. The Steelers uh, able to put the game away on this. Backed up a bit, but going for broke. Big Ben to Juju Smith-Schuster. Third down and nine at their own three. Steelers 13, Lions 12. 3.15 to go in the third on Sunday Night Football. Two receivers to the right of the line. Antonio Brown the wide to the left. Roethlisberger from the gun will throw from his end zone. Floats it over the middle. Juju Smith-Schuster is there at the 40. Up the middle and midfield to the 40. Off to the races at the 30. Steps through a tackle at the 20. Inside the 10. And all the way for the touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster, 97 yards. And the rookie provides a lightning bolt for the Steelers, who take a 19-12 lead. One of seven catches, 193 yards for Smith-Schuster out of USC. A 20-15 to victory for the Steelers in that game against the Lions. A road win for the Steelers. Yeah, Steelers allowed the third most yards in NFL history without allowing a touchdown. 
They it, the ball was moving between the twenties a lot <laughs> last night. Five field goals for the Lions. That's a lot of field goals, and that's actually one of the areas where Syracuse will look to improve. We'll see how that goes down in the uh, Oranges next game at Florida State. Can't settle for three as often in the red zone. Cole Murphy is having a nice year, but uh, you'd prefer touchdowns and seven to three. More to come as we continue in the booth. We'll go to uh, Do We Care in just a bit. PJ Carlesimo, the former Seton Hall and NBA coach, will join us a bit later in the show as well. Looking ahead to Orange Basketball. It's in the Dome on Wednesday night at 7, the Cuse and Southern New Hampshire in the first of two exhibitions. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. If you believe that an athlete, a high-profile athlete, is on scholarship and therefore that's good enough, then you must think your rotary phone is good enough at home. I've got a phone and it works fine. Things advance. We have technology. I have a phone that also can connect me to the Internet and I can read emails and get text messages and all sorts of great things like subscribe on iTunes to the ESPN Syracuse page. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100one 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Live from the dboffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care. The president of the NCAA says the public is losing confidence in how college sports are governed. Mark Emmert says that creates a big problem for the NCAA. In a statement, Emmert says 79% of people asked say schools put money ahead of students. Newsflash. 100% of people do that. Yeah. 100%. Well, <laughs> most people put money just about ahead of everything else. Uh, Joe's uh, story angles are so thinly uh, veil. I feel like I get just a little sliver there, Joe, that it, it, I, I think the point is for us to be able to go in any different direction, which is which is good, and we do. But uh, I don't know how to really react to this. Um, there probably is an image problem with the NCAA, but uh, I don't know that it's stopping people from taking part in the product or, or going to games and supporting uh, their schools and stuff. Uh the next thing I want to find out is if schools put money ahead of student athletes, first of all, do you think that's a new development or does that bother you in any way or would you prefer it to everybody be at Division Three? So I guess my question would be what what's the alternative here? I think this is where they're getting to the paying the, the, the yes. players. So. But I think this segment could be least shocking news ever would be a good title yeah. for this segment. Also. Yeah, he's got a couple of those things, yeah. <laughs> ESPN Stephen A. Smith says NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell should consider stepping down. Smith says there is growing discord between team owners and the league and that Goodell should consider resigning. Here's another one for you. Um, people that make between 20 and 30 and sometimes more than that millions of dollars in a year, they don't consider stepping down. They don't consider walking away from those jobs, and I don't know why he would. Roger Goodell is... Uh, an easy target, in my opinion. I don't know that the discord and whatever is necessarily of his creation. I understand uh, how and why there are uh, critics of uh, Roger Goodell, but whoever's in that position is going to take some arrows. That's your job. You represent the owners, uh, and you're going to be the bad guy sometimes, and there's going to be discord. It's labor and management. That's 
for as long as there's been labor and management, there's been discord. So uh, I, I don't know that it's Roger should it's for him to consider stepping down. If the owners aren't pleased with his performance and the bottom line is going to drive that, then they'll see to it that he steps down. Dare I say, Matt, you are saying that the NFL puts money before the players? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is a for-profit business. Can say that more clearly about the NFL than NCAA. It's, certainly, there's no gray area as far as the NFL is concerned. And a 10-acre desert ranch is up for sale in Arizona. The owner is asking for $5 million. The property boasts of an in-ground swimming pool, a barn, and apparently a constant stream of visitors from outer space. The owner says he's selling the property because he's tired of fighting off alien abductions. you got to tell me how it's worth $5 million. got to go more than a pool and a barn. I mean, there, I could, I could uh, drive to 30 of those places here in the next hour. Uh, and the, and how somebody who has a property valued at that much and could be smart enough or prudent enough to make that happen also thinks that alien abductions are maybe happening on his property. People are weird. Someone will buy you it. Too. Someone will buy it for that reason, though. Yeah, you're probably right. It's alien rich. Do we care? Is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. Epic work there, Joe. I try. We'll that man see. is putting money before the aliens. Yes. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. PJ Carlissimo coming up next. Someone who's actually funny oh. in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Out. Saturday, coming off the bye week, the Orange return to Florida to battle Florida State in Tallahassee. Pre-game at 10. Catch Syracuse football all season long on TK99 at ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse, brought to you by CH Insurance, CNYRealtor.com, and Burdick Ford. Also brought to you this week by the Food Bank of Central New York. Good to have you with us. Brand new week's worth of shows. Gone on Friday, of course, for travel to Tallahassee, Orange Football against Florida State on Saturday. That's a 12-20 start time. But here the rest of the week, we'll have a best-of show for you on Friday. Here's a good candidate for a best-of show later in the week. It's our friend P.J. Carlissimo, basketball uh, analyst at uh, ESPN. You know him as the longtime coach at Seton Hall and in the NBA. But he got his start at New Hampshire College back in the day. Hello, P.J., how are you? Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm good, man. Good to hear from you, man. It was great to hear your name pop up today. I thought we were just doing a routine conference call for the television broadcast on Wednesday and all these common connections at uh, Southern New Hampshire. Yeah, it's me. I still can't get used to calling it Southern New Hampshire, <laughs> but uh, it was uh, seems a few years ago, 70, I think it was 74, 75, so uh, I think I was two years old when I was coaching there. <laughs> you were just out of Fordham and uh, started your career there and, and – uh, you know, I, I don't expect uh, for you to chime in chapter and verse about this game, but for me, a starting point, we do these exhibition games, is w- why is this the one that's on the schedule? It makes sense if it's LeMoyne, et cetera. Uh, Southern Connecticut's coming in on uh, Monday, and uh, they have a player that's uh, John Wallace's uh, son. So there's those types of things. And I didn't really understand it with Southern New Hampshire, but I could see these two coaches being similar, and you know them both pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, I know both of them very, very well. I don't like either one of them. Um, they're both uh, excellent golfers. They're both lousy basketball coaches. Um, 
I've known them both, uh, seems like 100 years. Uh, Jimmy, of course, uh, we go back to even before that, the early 70s. And uh, Stanley, Stan Spiro, who's the coach at, at uh, Southern New Hampshire, was actually a high school coach. He was at uh, Manchester Central when I was in uh, at New Hampshire. And Tommy Sullivan, who you, you would remember, played at Ford and won the Haggerty Award, uh, was my assistant when I left um, Southern New Hampshire, New Hampshire College, to go to Wagner. Sully took over. He was the head coach for a number of years, about 10, I think, before he went to Manhattan. And he hired Stan from uh, Manchester Central. And between the two of them, I think it's probably 40-plus years. We had a actually had a reunion last November uh, of the gentleman who preceded me, who was Lou D'Alessandro, who had been the coach there for many, many years. And there was only, there's only been four coaches, but, I mean, the other guys all coached double digits. They all averaged about 25 wins a year. I think the, the program has, like, it's like Syracuse, they, you know, they have uh, 900 wins, and those guys, those three guys combined have 885 of them. I think I got 15 the year I was there, but uh, we had a, a great reunion. Stanley's a, he's a good guy. Got to know uh, Jimmy himself over the years. They've got an excellent program. I mean, a really good Division II program in an excellent league. They've had a lot of success, but obviously they got their their hands full going against Syracuse. According to Wikipedia, PJ, the Penman uh, went 14 and 13 back in 76, winning the Mayflower Conference. Damn, I thought I had 15 wins. Well, Only 14. Hey, yeah, we, did, we did win the uh, we won the conference, the Mayflower Conference, and we got to uh, got to the NAIA tournament uh, that year uh, and got. Saturday, coming off the bye week, the Orange return to Florida to battle Florida State and Tallahassee. Pre-game at 10, catch Syracuse football all season long on TK99 at ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse brought to you by CH Insurance, CNYRealtor.com. And Burdick Ford, also brought to you this week by the Food Bank of Central New York. Good to have you with us. Brand new week's worth of shows. Gone on Friday, of course, for travel to Tallahassee. Orange football against Florida State on Saturday. That's a 12-20 start time. But here the rest of the week, we'll have a best-of show for you on Friday. Here's a good candidate for a best-of show later in the week. It's our friend PJ Carlissimo, basketball uh, analyst at uh, ESPN. You know him as the longtime coach at Seton Hall and in the NBA. But he got his start at New Hampshire College back in the day. Hello, PJ. How are you? Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm good, man. Good to hear from you, man. It was great to hear your name pop up today. I thought we were just doing a routine conference call for the television broadcast on Wednesday and all these common connections at uh, Southern New Hampshire. Yeah, it's me. I still can't get used to calling it Southern New Hampshire, but uh, it was uh, seems a few years ago, 70, I think it was 74, 75. So uh, I think I was two years old when I was coaching there. <laughs> You were just out of Fordham and uh, started your career there, and and uh, you know I, I don't expect uh, for you to chime in chapter and verse about this game, but for me, a starting point we do these exhibition games is why is this the one that's on the schedule? It makes sense if it's Lemoyne, et cetera. Uh, Southern Connecticut's coming in on uh, Monday, and uh, they have a player that's uh, John Wallace's uh, son. So there's those types of things, and I didn't really understand it with Southern New Hampshire, but. I could see these two coaches being similar, and you know them both pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, I know both of them very, very well. I don't like either one of them. Um, they're both uh, excellent golfers. They're both lousy basketball coaches. Um, 
I've known them both, uh, seems like a hundred years. Uh, Jimmy, of course, uh, we go back to even before that, the early seventies and, uh, Stanley, Stan Spiro, who's the coach at, at, uh, Southern New Hampshire was actually a high school coach. He was at, uh, Manchester Central when I was in, uh, at New Hampshire and Tommy Sullivan, who you, you would remember played at Fordham won the Haggerty award, uh, was my assistant when I left, um, Southern New Hampshire, New Hampshire College, to go to Wagner. Sully took over. He was the head coach for a number of years, about 10, I think, before he went to Manhattan. And he hired Stan from uh, Manchester Central. And between the two of them, I think it's probably 40-plus years. We had a actually had a reunion last November uh, of the gentleman who preceded me, who was Lou D'Alessandro, who had been the coach there for many, many years. And there was only, there's only been four coaches, but, I mean, the other guys all coached double digits they all averaged about 25 wins a year i think the the program has lights like syracuse they you know they have uh 900 wins and those guys those three guys combined have 885 of them i think i got 15 the year i was there but uh we had a a great reunion stanley's a he's a good guy got to know uh jimmy himself over the years they've got excellent program i mean a really good division two program in an excellent league they've had a lot of success but obviously they got their their hands full going against Syracuse according to Wikipedia PJ the penman uh, went 14 and 13 back in 76 winning the Mayflower conference damn I thought I had 15 wins well, Only 14. Hey, yeah, we, did, we did win the uh, we won the conference the Mayflower conference and we got to uh, got to the NAIA tournament uh, that year uh, and got I think by Roger Williams College, uh, Vic Colucci was coaching. Remember the old Providence player was coaching at uh, at Roger Williams. But uh, it was I actually I loved it. I thought I'd be there for a while when I, when I took the job. It was my first head job. Um, literally applied for an ad uh, in the New York Times. Uh, head basketball coach, athletic director, New Hampshire College. They were going from NAIA into Division II that year, which we did. We made the transition, joined the ECAC, and became a Division II school. Uh, and they've done extremely well. Uh, you probably see the ads on TV. The president is brilliant that's there now. Uh, they've done so much, uh, them and, and the University of Phoenix, but they've done so much internationally and online. It's a ex- very, very successful program. Uh, the campus has gotten uh, so much bigger. It's a beautiful campus in Manchester, New Hampshire, right on the river. Um, and it, it's it's really done well. And Stanley has done, San Spiro has done an incredible job uh, as the basketball coach. Uh, he and Sully was the basketball coach in the AD, Tom Sullivan, for a lot of years. They had a lot of success. Stanley has just built on that. I mean, they usually crank out 20. They and uh, Herb McGee down at uh, – Philadelphia University, I guess they call it. We used to call it Philadelphia Textile. Uh, they've had great success, and uh, it, it really is. A, it's an amazing program. As I said, he and Jimmy are, do have a lot in common. They they win all the time. They're both excellent golfers. They're both really good people, and uh, it's it's a uh, it's a tough matchup for them. But it's 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 a matchup that I'm sure they'll enjoy. Well, both are very well connected with their schools and very content. As we visit with PJ Carlesimo at his own uh, very strong run at Seton Hall and on into the the NBA, does a great job as an analyst uh, at ESPN and Westwood One with a lot of our uh, our friends out there in the broadcasting business. And I, I asked uh, Coach Spiro about that today, any close calls or any thought of leaving. His wife's a professor there, and where, where is he going, right? I mean, it's a pretty cool deal. It, 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 you know what? And, uh, you know, a lot of people – 
particularly people in, in your neck of the woods because they're used to Jimmy being there uh, for so long. It is so unusual for one person to be able to stay. I mean, Jimmy, the only move he made from was from Lions down the road uh, to, to get to Syracuse, and he hadn't been anywhere else. But, I mean, to stay at one place, particularly at the level that both of these guys, I mean, Jimmy obviously has been at the top of Division One basketball for, uh, it, it seems like, 90 years, Matt. I don't know how many yeah. it really is. but it's 42 uh, it's this year. And uh, Stanley's done the same thing, Division Two at New Hampshire College. And people, you know, would say, well, you know, it's not that hard. It's extremely hard. The longer you stay at a place, the more difficult it becomes, not the easier. And you, all you got to do is look around and see how few people have been able to remain and be as successful as these two guys have been. So uh, really great, great achievements for uh, for both of them. And particularly when you consider the amount of time the two of them spent on a golf course, uh, how they can be a success. It just is a tribute to the assistants. Uh, hops out our way now. I live in Seattle. Yeah. I get a chance to see uh, Hoppy all the time. In fact, we're going to do a couple UW games this year, so i gotta got to get over there and watch one of his practices. But obviously, over the years, Jimmy's had great assistants. Stanley certainly had great assistants also. Okay, can uh, you break down the – Break down these golf games. I heard there was uh, – and, and who's given who's strokes? So Coach Spiro's an 11, he said, today. Well, um, he's given he, – he's getting strokes from Jim. The, the one thing that, that they have in common on a golf course, neither of them count very well. Uh, <laughs> and and there's, there's a couple of different kinds of coaches. There's coaches like Coach Calhoun who has a, an incredible handicap but might not be able to play to it. And then you have the, the sandbaggers like Stanley and, and Jim whose handicap is much higher than they really are. I mean, if Stanley says he's an 11, it means he's a 7. I don't know what Jim claims he is nowadays, but it's it's three less than he admits to. So uh, the negotiating on the first tee would be more important than uh, you know the result of the game. They're both more concerned with that. But Jim's the better golfer. Uh, neither of them, though, count very well or report their scores very well. Now, they said there was – I can't imagine this was a Final Four where you participated in as a coach, but he said there was a a, a match at the Final Four where I want to say it was uh, he and Coach Blaney versus you and Coach Beheim. I think it was that year. It wasn't in Seattle where, ironically, that was in Seattle. It wasn't out here when I was there. But, I mean, you hear those coaches, that's – there's serious golfers there, uh, not me. The the other guys are ve- are very capable golfers, but uh, no, it was the same. It was the same year. As long as I get my strokes, I'm okay uh, playing with these two. And and the one thing I'll say about Jim, we had a lot of years where we went over to. England, Scotland, and Ireland uh, when we were in the Big East together. We'd go over there and play for two weeks uh, every year. The, the one thing about uh, Jim that's really good is he's always been excellent helping me find my ball. I don't know where he, he learned that. I think when he was young and he caddied, but uh, he, he was great helping you find a ball. He wouldn't, wouldn't go help yourself, but he would point you to where it was, and he was always good. I don't recall ever losing a ball when I played with Jim, so I have to give him at least uh, props for that. Knowing him as we do, I would guess that was born out of uh, his impatience. He doesn't want to be waiting for you to look for it, so <laughs> if he knows That's, where it is. I would think there, there's some truth to that, Matt. You know that very well. <laughs> Let's uh, we'll, we'll have you go on this. Um, how do you – Put us in coach's mind. You know him as well as anybody. How does he approach this year now? You've 
He's lost pretty much everybody from last year. He's got one really good guard in Tyus Battle that's back and a few other pieces and then some new guys and guys sitting out that are red shirts, et cetera. Low expectations for what was going to be his final year, and now we know it's probably not going to be close to his final year. Uh, how do you think he's approaching this season? Same as he always does. I, I, I think his, his work ethic is the same. He doesn't change the way he uh, you know, prepares for that, there, you're going to get the same effort you always get for him. But I think what you're going to find, and if you look back over the years, to me, his best coaching has always been teams like this, uh, not not the ones that people say, "Well, these guys are top ten. They're you know they're going to be one of the best teams. They're going to win 25 games." It's always the years when people sell Syracuse a little short. It's not often, but it's happened over the years. And and I'm going back to when. You know, the the Lee brothers were there and some of these guys and people that just, you know, never gave them credit for how good they were. Uh, to me, Jim's best coaching has always been the teams where not as much was expected from them, uh, and yet they overachieved. And I would think this is going to be, again, uh, trying to do it in the ACC. I mean, he's done it his whole career, basically his whole career in the Big East and the ACC. It doesn't get any more difficult than that. But I would think he will surprise people this year. This team will get better as the year goes on, as his teams always do. Uh, and I think they're going to be a lot better and a lot more competitive than people are are predicting from them. Well, awesome stuff. Always good to hear from you and your perspective on the game. Maybe we'll do it again down the road with somebody else that you may have played golf with or had dinner with. All right, Matt, for sure. (laughs) Give both of those guys my worst when you're talking to them, please. (laughs) You bet. You're the best. Appreciate it, PJ. PJ Carlesimo of ESPN and uh, one of the great basketball storytellers, restaurant pickers, and name droppers of all time. That was... uh, Fantastic. Glad that uh, he could come on and share his perspective on uh, this matchup that you otherwise would think is a throwaway. But uh, Coach Beheim and then this uh, Stan Spiro is his name, 33-year head coach at uh, Southern New Hampshire, where, as Coach Colissimo pointed out, they've won a lot. They've been in the tournament 20 times. They've been to the Elite Eight seven times. And uh, last year, won better than 20 games, had themselves an outstanding year. Good to have P.J. Carlissimo on. I think that's a good bet to be on the uh, Friday Best of Show. Really good dude and uh, great storyteller and uh, perspective. So uh, enjoy his point of view on that with basketball season getting going. The uh, Orange and Southern New Hampshire, Wednesday night in the Dome. That's a 7 o'clock start. It'll be a... Monday 7 o'clock game for the Cuse against Southern Connecticut in the second of two exhibitions, and then Cornell comes in on Friday. We'll spend a little more time on football tomorrow, the Cuse and Florida State. Hard to believe as the Orange go there with a, not that it's hard to believe that Syracuse has a 4-4 and record, it's really hard to believe that Florida State has a 2-5 and record, and it's 0-3 and at home. So could the Orange get their first road win of the year, and if they do that, they will have beaten Florida State and Clemson, two preseason top five or ten teams in the same season. would put them within one win of bowl eligibility. And then the schedule flips in your favor because you'd have two out of three at home the rest of the way from there. But uh, Boston College looks awfully uh, tough. They stoned Florida State 25, I'm sorry, 35 to 3. FSU's got some work to do to get their deal figured out, but uh, chances are they will in time. We'll see if it's in time for Saturday. For Joe and Polly, all of you, we thank you for being with us. It's In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.